0: I'm going to tell you a story about two separate friends that I have. One friend is an Ashkenazi Jew, which basically means he's a European Jewish guy. And he is even though that he's Jewish, this is kind of odd. He's Jewish but he's also a full-blown atheist. So he doesn't, he, you know, he's, ethnically he's Jewish, and even culturally he's Jewish. He practices, you know, the bar mitzvah with his kids and all that stuff, um, you know, and probably has like a little, you know, candle, and, but he doesn't believe in God. doesn't even believe, he, he's so far gone that he doesn't even believe that God exists. of a weird thought to think about. He's supposed to be God's chosen people, right? But he's he's a secular Jew, and he's an atheist secular Jew. It's kind of a strange thought. Do you want to know what's even stranger about my friend? Is that he is obsessed with God. Like, even though he doesn't believe that God exists, uh, he's made it his life's passion to either debunk God or to understand more about what makes us humans want to worship something that, that we can't see. It's a, I think it's strange that he's completely obsessed with the concept of, of something divine. Even though he doesn't believe in it, he's invested an incredible about amount of time and energy and money into understanding God even though he doesn't believe in God. Why is that? Is, do you think that's strange or is that just me? I think it's kind of strange. I have another friend. I should say I had a friend. I had a friend who, um, who grew up not knowing who his father was, grew up in a very rough situation, very uh, unstable family environment, didn't really have any history about who he was or where he came from, didn't know who his people were, he was just like an orphan, if you will. and as he grew up he got introduced to a local church made Jesus Christ the lord of his life plugged in to the church and began to live a life that was honoring to god and giving of himself and even applying biblical principles to his life that that are hard to apply. Um, Sharing your life with somebody unconditionally, it's a hard thing to do, even for most Christians. Loving people unconditionally, even though they drive you nuts, (laughs) like that does not come naturally. Like you have to force yourself into fellowship at times. Probably one of the hardest ones for us humans to get is the spiritual principle of tithe like like this 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 thing about money grips our our hearts and our souls like we don't want to give it we want to keep it we want to make it we want to multiply it but we definitely don't like giving it. But it is, this, this is not a sermon on, on tithing, by the way, and I got a different point to make. But it is, it's, it's a very profound principle that goes all the way back to the patriarchs. Uh, who is, who's the father of our faith? Old Testament. Abraham. Abraham understood this this covenantal process of him going into relationship with God, meaning that he had to give his life and then there was something in this individual Abraham, one that could make money and make a lot of money, like very, like just kind of came naturally to him. But two, he knew that he had to offer up a sacrifice. So from the very beginning, Abraham gives 10% to Melchizedek, this weird priest thing. I don't have time to get into that, but that's awesome. It's an awesome story. Basically, he gives 10% to Jesus. The priest of Salem could have been Jesus himself. Who knows? Okay, so that is, that is a spiritual principle And so this, my friend, who grew up with no grid of who he was, kind of an orphan spirit, um, he understood this Abrahamic principle. And it wasn't hard for him. He just says, well, that's what the Bible says, and this is what I feel I ought to do, and tithing just comes naturally to me, and I know if I do it, I get blessed. It was easy for him. For most of us, putting a dollar in the basket is painful, and we try to reason and rationalize it, and like we don't want to do it. Like it goes against our nature. It goes against our character. But for my friend, it didn't. He understood the, 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 He understood the spiritual principle of it, and he just did it. My friend, as an adult, years and years later, again, he doesn't know who his father is. Didn't really know his mother that well either. Does the, the genetic test, what is that thing? 23andMe, Ancestry.com, whatever, you know. He does one of those. This is interesting. Comes to me very excited. Pastor Josh, guess what? I'm like, what? He's like, I'm a Jew. (laughs) Super excited that he, you know, he took this test and found out that he's an, he's an Ashkenazi Jew. He's a European Jew, just like a little bit of me. And he was so excited about that. And it was like, he was excited about it. And a little bit surprised but you know what i wasn't surprised I'm like oh yeah that totally makes sense yeah i can see that all over you like that's a that's an easy one to connect because there's something about you and there's something about how you live and something about how you responded to the word of god that just came are you ready for this This came naturally as if, as if it was in his blood How do you guys feel about that? Because most of us are all a bunch of Gentiles. We're borderline pagans, right? (laughs) So does God have his special people? He does. And I wanted to talk about God's covenantal people. Uh, We're starting a new series today. I want to talk about um, the idea, the reality and the truth of the nation of Israel. Every Sunday since this bad thing happened with Hamas coming in on, what was it? What was the date on that? October 7th. October 7th. Ever since then, uh, we have made it a point to pray for the peace of Jerusalem in our church service. We do it occasionally regardless, but since the nation of Israel is at some type of a war or a proxy war, I just really felt it strong inside of me that, that we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's, a, it's, a, it's an important thing. Actually, as believers, as Christians, we are called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And so I, I guess the reason why I'm doing this series is because maybe, I don't know, maybe you're asking why. why, why do we need to, Why do we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Uh, are they God's chosen people? What's this Israel thing all about? And so since it is in the news, I want to answer the questions. And I think that it's going to be in the news quite a bit. Maybe things have died down a little bit, but like this is going to be a strange year. And so I want to I give us a biblical perspective of what the nation of Israel is. But in this series, I also want to talk about the man Israel. Because it's a nation, but it's also a man. Did you guys know that it was a man? You know there's a man named Israel? Did you guys know that? All right, I know you guys can do this. Finish the this, this, this sentence. Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob. Jacob. One of the most annoying Characters in the Bible. The heel grabber, Jacob the liar, the sneaky one, the mama's boy, the pasty one, the tent dweller. I hate this guy. I mean, I really do. Like, I, I don't like Jacob. Like, there's nothing about him that, that I really identify with. I like his brother better, the, the hairy one. I can identify with a guy that's got some back hair. <laughs> now, I, know? I, okay, so Jacob is... Alright, let me tell you the story of Jacob. The, the beginning of the story. I'm going to paraphrase it. This is Genesis 26. I will read the blessing, though. Jacob was the younger brother. Esau was the older brother. Of course, we all know who Abraham is. Father Abraham had many sons. And the cool thing about that song is, what's the rest of the song? Even though we're not Jews, I am one of him, and so are you. Okay, so you're all children of Abraham. That's the. That's the we'll just get that out there right now. And... Again, there was this covenantal relationship that God had with Abraham. Abraham was he came from an advanced society. Usually we just think of him as, you know, running around beating goats and stuff. It's not the case. He was he came from the city of Ur in, in ancient Samaria, high culture. The height of society, the height of civilization, the birth of civilization. Most likely, Abraham could read. He was, um, you know, just educated, wealthy. Usually, we, when we interpret the scriptures, we don't see him that way. Again, we just think of him as, you know, long haired and a beard, and he's chasing goats and sheep around the desert. But there's just something more going on with Abraham that, that we just don't see when we uh, first read or in those movies from the 70s (laughs) but when god speaks to abraham he says that i'm going to make from you a nation that will outnumber the sands of the beach and the stars in the sky and you know the story of abraham and he says in your descendants will be a blessing to the entire world. Okay? So, there is something very special going on in in this covenant with Abraham, and that covenant gets passed to Isaac. Isaac, not a whole lot happens with him. He's kind of boring. But Jacob, like the same covenant passes to Jacob that his offspring, his descendants, are going to bless the world Wow. And so, why Jacob? Because technically, it needs to pass to the older brother. It needs to pass to Esau, Esau, if you will. And it seems like he is the one that deserves it. Because as far as character goes, Esau is the man of character. He's the man of action. He's the man of character. He is the one that is providing for the family. He's the one that's going out into the wilderness, and he's hunting, and he's killing the animal, and he's dragging it home, and he's feeding the family. Esau's a cool guy. And in this drama, we see Jacob. Again, Jacob is the tent dweller. Uh, He's got soft hands. Maybe he's, I don't know, he's probably on his Nintendo. (laughs) He's not outside playing soccer. He's inside playing video games. You get the idea? And when Isaac, when his dad, Isaac begins to go, his his eyes fade, and his senses are dull, and he knows that his days are few, it is time for Isaac to pass on his father's blessing, to pass on Abraham's covenantal blessing from him into Esau. And you guys know the story, right? You guys went to Sunday school. Mm -hmm. Did you guys go to Sunday school? All right, so mom hijacks Jacob and says your dad's gonna die pretty soon he's gonna pass on his blessing he's gonna pass on his blessing to your older brother now I don't know why mom would do this but she's she's just she's just as bad as Jacob and he says here's the plan Jacob we are going to steal your older brother's blessing we are going to steal his inheritance this is like one of the sneakiest things in world history not just biblical history and he says your 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 father he's at he's ready to give it he's ready to um he's ready to pass it on he's ready to um impart this anointing onto the next son so let's pretend that you're the older brother let's pretend that you're esau i'm gonna go kill a goat and you're gonna glue some hair on your arms and you're gonna walk into this dark tent. Dad can't see well anyway. And you're gonna pretend like you're old you the older brother. And Jacob lies. Jacob goes in and he has the hair on his arms. He says, Dad, feel my he's like, You sound you sound a little weak. Where's where's that manly voice? He's like, No, I'm Esau, feel the hair on my arms. And so it is one of the one of the the worst deceptions. And that they buy it. And again, I don't know how this all works, but there was a transfer of a spiritual anointing, a spiritual blessing right into Jacob. And in addition to that, he gets the financial inheritance too. I'm going to read you, I'm going to read the blessing. This is chapter 27, the stolen blessing. Isaac says, come here, my son, and kiss me. And so he went to him. This is uh, verse 26, 27, 26. And his father said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. And so he went into him, and he kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, because he had to put on like the stinky uh, hunting clothes, right? He blessed him, and he said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Okay, here we go. May God give you of heaven's dew and of earth's riches an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. After Isaac finished the blessing, and blessing him and Jacob, scarcely had this blessing left his father's presence, his brother Esau came in from hunting. Dun-dun-dun! and then Isaac basically says it's too late your brother stole it your inheritance is gone and Esau is like well, well how do i get it back isn't isn't there a, a little bit left over for me isn't there basically Isaac says nope it's all that that very special anointing that very special blessing is has been transferred into your younger son, and I can't unring the bell. I can't undo this. And Isaac is livid. I don't have time to get into the, the other part of the story, but there's also part of the story uh, where Isaac sells his birthright because he's hungry because he's been working all day. And so there is a little bit of a character defect in, excuse me, in Esau. Um, There's a character defect that he's willing to give up his inheritance for uh, physical satisfaction, for a bowl of food. But if we're judging character flaws, uh, Jacob is morally compromised. He is a morally compromised person because he's a liar, he's a cheat, he's a thief. Who likes this guy? And yet, he's going to be the blessing of the nations. How in the world does that take place? There is an attitude towards... god's people you are god's people you are the church and you know if you're trying to share your faith or be public about your love for jesus and if you're doing it to somebody that does not respond or who is an atheist or who's been hurt by church who is skeptical who is cynical you feel that pushback you feel the attitude right is it just me have you, have, you, have you tried to share your faith? You try to be public about your confession, and how well does that go? Right. It, it's tough. It's, it's a tough one to, to frame out. Mm-hmm. At times, the same attitude and the same, if you will, the same spirit, um, is levied against God's original people, the people of God, Israel. There is, um, there is an attitude that says the Jewish people are, are like Jacob. Like Israel is like Jacob. They're all a bunch of liars. They're all a bunch of cheats and we can't trust them. The reason why I'm bringing this up because in the news today, there is a new um, push against the nation of israel so let's just talk about what is israel we have it is a nation it's on the map it's been recognized by governments with the exception of a few most governments in the world recognize israel as a nation so what is it israel okay listen to me israel is a nation yes Israel is, is a people group, yes, and, and, and Israel is an ethnicity. Like, This is important for us to get. Why? Because there's an impulse to say that it is not. Okay, hang on to your seats. You guys ready for something? Okay, we're going to get a little theological here. There is a theological position. You might want to write this down. There's a theological position that's called replacement theology. Replacement theology. What that means, what that states, is that the church, us, we have replaced Israel. It's called replacement theology. So in the New Testament, whenever Israel is mentioned, people that subscribe to replacement theology, they'll say, well, it's referring to the church because the Jews messed it up, and then we got it. We got it. We've stole that inheritance. We're now God's chosen people, and the Jews have rejected Jesus, and therefore the church has replaced the Jewish people. People in the Jewish nation. Replacement theology. You might have friends that believe this. You might believe this. Scripturally, it's it's wrong. I believe that it's wrong. My interpretation of the scriptures is, uh, is in some in some cases, my interpretation of scripture is um, is figurative. So there are certain times like. In the book of Revelation, when the big giant dragon comes out of the ocean, I actually don't believe that there's going to be a big giant kaiju that's going to come out of the ocean. My wife might disagree with me. <laughs> but I don't believe, I think, I think that's symbolic. So there's some things in the scriptures that are symbolic, that are, you know, the metaphors. Whenever the New Testament is talking about Israel and whenever the New Testament is talking about the church, it is literal. It's not metaphor. It's literal. So I, I forgot. I mean, there's like thousands and thousands and thousands of times when the when the scriptures use the word Israel, right? And when it says Israel, it means Israel. Not the church. It's Israel. It's that ethnicity. It's that nation. It's that land. Like there is something. There's something weird about that land. There's, a, there's almost like a, like a like a homing beacon inside of Jewish people that draws them to the land that they were kicked out of. There's there's something in their blood, and I don't I I don't quite understand it. They are God's covenantal people. And the reason why, one of the reasons why I don't subscribe to replacement theology is because the promise that was made to Abraham was a what? An everlasting covenant. Meaning that it was going to last forever. There's nothing in the scriptures that say, well, it's going to last forever unless you screw it up. If you screw it up, We're going to take away your blessing, and we're going to give it to a bunch of Gentiles instead. It doesn't say that. Even Paul has to address this issue. So if you want to, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive. We're going to turn to Romans uh, chapter 11. Uh, also, I want to note um, the women doing this study on Galatians. Like, if you really want to, you know, get a solid understanding of this debate of what Jewishness is and how the Christian church plays part in it, uh, should 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 we become Jews? All this kind of stuff. This is what we call the Galatian uh, debate. And so, if you want to know more, if you want the full context uh, of what's taking place. Uh, Go to this study on Galatians. You're going to see it in the whole context, understanding the book of Galatians, because Paul was doing a downright dirty fight against legalism and against anti-Semitism. So this is a great book for, you, for, for ladies to study. Guys, if you want to get into it, you're going to have to identify as a woman. Put a wig on and sneak into this Bible study. Nope. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> not, that, not that kind of church, Okay. Oh, Pastor Josh, it's too, it's too, too soon in the year. Too soon. Chapter eleven, verse one. I ask then, did God reject His people? By no means. So Paul's beginning to address this issue of replacement theology before the term even comes up. By no means, I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know that the scriptures say in the passages about Elijah, how he appeared to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have re- I have reserved for myself seven thousand who are not who are not bowed the, who have not bowed bent the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant. A chose, and chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What? Israel sought, to earnestly, sought so earnestly it did not obtain. But the elect did. The others were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes so that they could not see and ears that they could not hear to this very day. And David says, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and retribution for them. Their eyes may be darkened so they cannot see and their backs uh, to be bent forever. Again, I asked, Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. It's kind of cool, huh? But in their transgressions, transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles. How much greater riches will their fullness bring okay so this is a promise that abraham is excuse me that, that paul is beginning to highlight he's saying by no means has god rejected his people even though the jews have rejected jesus god has not rejected them like they got to walk through it they've got to they've got to um, deal with the consequences of not following jesus There are no free passes, but again, there is this covenantal bond between God and the ethnic Jewish people that, that will continue to draw them. This could quite, okay, so are all the Jewish people saved? Is my atheist Jewish friend going to go to heaven? I honestly doubt it, but what the word of God says is that this remnant is going to bring the Jewish people into their destiny to connect with God. Mm-hmm. So there is hope for the Jewish people. Frankly, it seems quite hopeless. The nation of Israel, I forgot how big it is right now, but less than 2% identify as Christian inside of Israel. So most Jews inside of Israel, they're orthodox or they're reformed or there's some other type of version of Jewishness or they're secular. It's meaning that they're just, they don't practice, they're non-practicing Jews. It's kind of like being a non-practicing virgin. <laughs> okay. Uh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Sorry. But they don't, they, they don't practice. Sometimes they play along. They know that you know, there's just something about them that can't help but to be, to be Jew, to be Jewish, even though they want to be secular and they want to be atheist. They can't help but to light the candle. But less than 1% in that nation is, identifies as Christian. Excuse me, 1%. Like 1.9% I think of what it is. And of that less than 2% in the nation that identifies Christian, almost 80% of that less than 2% Christian, almost 80% are Arab Christians. They're not even Messianic Jews. So the Messianic Jew population is very, very small. Messianic Jews, meaning the Jews that have fallen in love with Jesus, is very, very small. It's less than a percent. And the the Jewish churches inside of Israel, they're very rare. There's less than 300 churches inside of Israel. And so, wait, I thought these are God's people. How come they're not following the Messiah like we are? Well... We just read it. Their eyes have been darkened and their ears have been closed. But what Paul tells us is that someday they're going to hear the gospel message about their Messiah. And when that day comes, there's going to be a burning and a remnant that's going to say, that's my Messiah and I thank, I, I thank you so much that you told me about him. Like, there is some, it's so hard to evangelize inside of uh, Israel. Like, if we were to go there to be missionaries, it wouldn't go well. You think uh, trying to share your your faith in Claremont is hard? (laughs) Try doing it in Israel. It would not go well if we were like, hey, let's be missionaries. God's calling me to Israel to, 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 to lead people to Jesus. It would not go well. I tried it when I was a young man. I know. I tried to I, I I had, you know, Jewish friends and I tried to that didn't go well. I even tried street evangelism in Jerusalem. That didn't go well. I know. That wasn't the time I got rocks thrown at me. That was another time where I ended up in a place where I shouldn't have been. Yeah. The story for another day. So God it will draw his people. So, what is our role in all of this, and how are we to to field it? First off, we are called to bless the ethnicity and the nation and the idea of Israel. (sighs) We pray for the nation every Sunday. And you'd be like, some of you might be like, that's cool, but I don't necessarily like Israel politically. That's okay. This this might be tough, but I don't I don't follow politically. I'm not a political junkie on what's going on in Israel. Sometimes I look, try to figure out what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Like we're getting all kinds of information. Frankly, no one really knows what's going on. We're just getting we're getting a we're getting a dialogue. We're getting fed information. We don't know what the real story is. Should we support Israel if Israel does horrible things? No. Israel is still made up of people. Israel is still made up of, of, of men and women that have, at times, evil impulses. So, um, you know, whenever there's a war, guess what happens whenever there's a war? There is a war crime, Right? And whenever there's a war crime, there should be an accountability to it. So, yes, I support Israel 100%. We pray for Israel 100%. But if Israel does a war crime, am I going to be okay with that and let it slide? Of course not. If there is a Christian teacher preacher on TV and he blows it, and he has a moral failure, am I going to be, well, he's a Christian. That's okay. We're just going to let it slide. It's going to be all right. No, of course not. Right? We hold them accountable. So we need to hold the nation accountable at the same time. Well, I, may, I don't know how we do that. But at the same time, like, we have to pray for the peace of Jerusalem regardless of of what is taking place. We need to pray for the church of Jesus Christ, even though there are people that have, Christian leaders, that have put a stain on the bride of Christ's dress. Does that make sense? So just because bad things happen in churches, just because bad things happen in Israel, doesn't mean that we quit praying for the peace of Jerusalem, doesn't mean that we quit praying for the power of the church. Does that make sense? Now, what I think that we need to be aware of in this current evil age, this transitioning age, okay, you know you feel the animosity if you're in a hostile environment when you declare your faith, right? If you say you're a Christian and you're in a hostile environment, like you feel the tension. You get the eye rolls and you get the pushback. The same type of thing happens you know, to Jewish people just because they're Jewish. We call it anti-Semitism. What concerns me is that some of our major universities, I'll go ahead and name one because I'm an alum, sort of, but Harvard is making anti-Semitic tone and it's just like very concerning. I did a semester at Harvard. I'm a Harvard man. Do you know how you can tell a Harvard man? You you can always tell a Harvard man. You just can't tell them much. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) (laughs) And so, that they wouldn't denounce violence towards Jewish people is concerning. Inside of the Church of Jesus Christ, we all have brothers and sisters that have different theologies. If you or Uncle Bob, who's an armchair theologian, you see it all over the internet, you see it all over YouTube. A lot of uh, Reformed theologians fall into this category. Where they are accepting this idea of replacement theology, meaning that the church has replaced israel again i don 't and the, the irony is is that people that believe this also take the Bible more literal than I do, except for this one thing: <laughs> they just pick and choose what they want to be literal about. Yeah. I am a huge fan of Martin Luther. I have Both of them, actually. I like the black one, and I like the white one. But the white one, in the 16th century, did work on the sovereignty of God, the authority of Scripture, the power of saving grace that, that blew the head off the world, that got us into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. That, that said that we are solely saved by grace and not works. Martin Luther changed the world for the better, and yet in his, under, in his older years, he embraced replacement theology. I wish I could go back in time and kick him. <laughs> Why did you do this, Martin Luther? He got old and cranky or whatever. I don't know what happened. But he, his tone took a very anti-Semitic tone because he embraced replacement theology. You want to know who else embraced replacement theology? Little guy named Adolf Hitler did. Now, if you subscribe to replacement theology, I'm not calling you a Nazi, but you could very well be on your way to that if you take it to its extreme. If you take anything to its extreme, you will become a radical and bad things will happen and it will manifest worst case scenario in violence. There is a huge anti-Semitic push in our culture today. I don't want the church to fall into that trap because there's a lot of bad things that are taking place. There's a lot of tension in the world. There's a lot of tension in your life. And sometimes we just need a scapegoat. Sometimes we just need a villain to fight. And we need an enemy to hate. Mm-hmm. And we need a target to punch at. And when we don't have it, we get frustrated. And then we'll take it out. This, is, this has been going on for um, 4,000 years. We, people have been punching the Jews in the face because they need, a, they need an enemy to fight, yeah? But you and I... We ought to know better that we don't take out our frustrations on people or people groups. Why? Because the word of God says our, our warfare is not of this world. We do not wage war with flesh and blood. Our warfare is in spiritual principalities. Mm-hmm. And so if you need a target to punch, you have an invisible demon that wants to undo your life like just don't spend too much time uh fencing with the devil. You're going to lo- you're going to lose. Because it's fun, right? But it is also a distraction. You, you we are to keep our mind and our focus on things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are admirable, things that are excellent and praiseworthy. These are the things that we ought to be focusing on and meditating on and obsessing about. And not obsessing about the next horrible thing or the next terrible thing that these people did Look, we have to we have to make sure that we hold every thought captive and and so when we get a and they come you might get an anti-semitic feeling and they come and you have to hold that thought captive now let's just say hypothetically the nation of israel does something bad right let's just say the nation of israel Uh, engages in a war crime and it could very well happen again we're dealing with people here like we just like I'm not okay with war crimes like there needs to be an we need there needs to be accountability there right so we need to we need to make sure that we hold people and nations and institutions like we need to hold Google accountable (laughs) right (laughs) everybody needs to be held accountable at the same time, we can't allow the spirit of truth to morph into a cynical spirit towards a people group. Does that make sense? So I can hold I can hold the nation of Israel accountable for war crimes if they commit war crimes, but I will not allow my heart to say those people are evil and I'm going to curse them. Because what if, what if, what was the what was what was Jacob's blessing? I'm going to bless those that bless you, and I'm going to curse those that you curse. I don't know about you. I want to be blessed. So I'm going to bless Israel, the idea, the land, the nation, the people. I'm going to make it a habit to bless those people because I know that the, Lord, the Lord's promise is in turn we will be blessed if we do it. If we take on, well, look, the, the whole world is falling apart because of what these people did, and we need a scapegoat, like, well, let's just curse them. Like, how well did that go for the Nazis? Right. Oh, man. I should... You guys okay? <laughs> All right. Now, yeah. let's bring it back into a little more personal thing. Jacob was a liar. He was a cheat, he was a thief. I hate this guy, right? But God didn't. I don't know why God didn't pick the older, hairier brother. I definitely would've went with Esau. He's just cooler, right? I wouldn't want to hang out with Esau. I wouldn't want to hang out with Jacob. He's just cooler. But inside of God's sovereignty, This was his plan. I might not like it, but this was his plan. And the beautiful thing about Jacob is that his name gets changed. We will continue the story next week. But his name gets changed from liar, heel catcher, the sneaky one. That's literally what his name means. Jacob the liar or Jacob the heel grabber, the... the 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 stealer or whatever his name his identity literally gets changed to Israel Mm -hmm. you want to know what Israel translates into those who strive with God that's a big change from going from sneaky to those who strive with God other translations of Israel the, the meaning of Israel is those that wrestle with God We'll be talking about the wrestling match, the greatest wrestling match that ever took place next week. Jacob wrestled with God, and because he wrestled with God, his name changed. Look, you guys can wrestle with God. You have permission to do it. You want to, like you're, like, you're trying to figure out like, why all these bad things are happening to you, why the world is all upside down. You're trying to make sense of this, you're trying to make sense of God. Um, wrestle with him. You don't like what the Bible says. This part offends you, and that part's okay. And you like all the stuff on love, but you don't like all the stuff on judgment. The Bible offends you. What do you do? You wrestle with God. Like he wants to, he wants to roll around in the dirt with you. He's okay with your insecurities. He's okay with your lack of faith. He's okay with your cynicism. He's okay with your intellectual, logical mind. He wants to wrestle with you. I think the, the meaning of the story of Jacob becoming Israel, why the, the sneaky heel catcher, I think the reason why it's in there. And again, I would have wrote it differently. God never asked me for my opinion about stuff. <laughs> it's very rude, so rude. I could have, I could have told a better story. How would I went with a the, with the hero, right? Esau with the you know, hair and the big muscles and much better guy. I think the reason why this story is in there is because it tells us one very simple thing, is that God can use anybody. Right. Even people. God can even use people who are morally compromised. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that? I mean, maybe you're sitting here, you're just morally compromised. Like you eat too much sugar. God can use you. I know. <laughs> Maybe you're a big, fat liar. Maybe you're selfish and greedy. Maybe you're a heel catcher. You know that God's got a sovereign plan for you and he can use you. Mm-hmm. He can change you. He can transform you. You, you just have to wrestle with him. Mm-hmm. By the way, you're going to lose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you've got to wrestle with him. By the way, it's going to hurt like Hades. It's going to hurt. All it takes is a finger from God and like, things start to hurt. But it's, all, it's a good hurt. And you, and you walk forward in humility. So God can take the immoral, uncompromised individual and he can change their identity, perspective. He can change their name. Likewise. God can take an entire people group that don't love Jesus and he's willing to wrestle with them until they do. I think God's wrestling with the nation of Israel right now. And the nation, the people group, like they, it has a, has a very important uh, part to play in the un, unraveling of the end times. It's a very important part. And so um, I'm going to choose not to have an anti-Semitic spirit towards it. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to buy the pay-per-view, and I'm going to show up to the stadium, and I'm going to watch God and Israel wrestle. Yeah. I'm going watch to watch this people group wrestle with God and fall in love with Jesus. That less than 1%, like, like that's the remnant. Like there's a remnant. There's some crazy Jews out there that love Jesus. They're the remnant. And, and they're going to lead their people to know him. And the promise of the word of God is that, that the nation will see the Messiah and they're going to fall in love with their Messiah. They just haven't been introduced to him yet. I wish I could introduce to him, introduce you know, the Jewish people to the Messiah. But the, frankly, it's a family job. It's got to take place within the family. But there's a remnant and I've hung out with them. I've prayed with them. There's incredible prayer houses in Israel. I want you need to go. Like, yeah, you're you're you guys are all a bunch of shiksas. You're all a bunch of Gentiles, right? But you can go to Israel. You can go. And chances are, maybe, just maybe, you too are like my friend and you got a you got a little bit of Jewish blood inside of you. I think everybody does. You might have a little bit of Jewish blood in you. And it's like a homing beacon and you might feel something come alive inside of you when you enter into the Holy Land. So let's, let's go before it's too late. Amen. Heavenly Father, as the church, we pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God, we know that there's something special about the epicenter of the world, Jerusalem. It is where East meets West. It is where you started the journey, and it is where you're going to end the journey. It is where your son came into time and space to just walk with us and to be with us and show us how to live and show us that there is a better way. And so God, we hold every thought captive, and we bless Jerusalem, we bless the Jewish people. We pray right now that they will find Jesus, and that they will find peace, and they will make a way in this dark world to usher in the kingdom of God. Next week, we're going to continue the series. We're going to talk about the birth of a nation. We're going to talk about the birth of a godly man. Maybe you have a new birth coming. Maybe you're, to, maybe you're going to morph into a godly man or a godly woman this year. Maybe God will change your name this year. Maybe he'll change your identity on how you see yourself. Don't believe the lies of of the enemy. Believe that, that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Just wrestle with him a little bit more. So now may the Lord, your God, bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he turn towards you in your times of need. And may he fill your home with peace. Go with the blessing of the Lord. God bless you guys. See you next time.